Coming up on today's show, it is Throne Speech Day in our country as the new Liberal Minority Government outlines their plan for the upcoming session. Do you use one of the most 20 common passwords in the country? And almost half of Canadians say they will continue with social distancing this holiday season. When's enough enough? If you're vaccinated, are you good to move on? I think we have a pretty good idea of what will be in the throne speech, but nonetheless, it will be historic for a couple of different reasons. So we're going to chat now with Amanda Connolly, who is a national online journalist with Global News and get some idea of what we can expect to see today. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Okay, before we get to the throne speech, let's talk about what happened yesterday. We have a speaker now, right? They, they, they managed to accomplish that yesterday, correct? Yes, they did manage to get a speaker elected. It took a little while, of course, tallying up all of those ballots from the MPs who were back in the House of Commons for the first time in quite a while here. Uh, but, of course, Northern Ontario Liberal MP Anthony Rhoda has been re-elected for a second term as speaker. And again, he, he gets a number of uh, number of perks that go along with that job, but again, really uh, seemed to, to have the broad support from MPs there, uh, saying that many he had spoken to called him fair, called him reasonable. Uh, and that really is the job of, of a speaker. That That is, is their role, to, to be that kind of impartial referee in the House of Commons. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, part of the reason to have a speaker installed is so you can start having some votes. And one of the votes that they need to discuss, of course, is whether or not the MPs will be attending in person. Is that, did they deal with that at all yesterday, or has that been pushed back to after the throne speech? When do we expect to find out exactly how the House of Commons is going to look this time? That will be coming up later this week. Again, okay. we have a number of things they have to sort through, likely starting uh, likely starting in force on Wednesday. But again, as you mentioned there, uh, the question here really is whether they're going to have a hybrid sitting, right. uh, continue to allow for, for virtual participation in the House of Commons. And the idea here, again, is that this was put in place uh, really an unprecedented move during the pandemic. And the, the concern here is that they want to keep this in place both for MPs who um, perhaps have a medical exemption for being vaccinated so that they are still able to participate in the House because, of course, they cannot be physically in the House itself or in the precinct at all um, because of the new vaccine mandates that are in place for everyone working mm-hmm. on Parliament Hill right now. Um, but again, also as part of this, this um, this has been a conversation for, for a number of years now about how do we how do we make Parliament Hill more accessible to people who, um, you know, it, it can be a very challenging environment, a very family-unfriendly environment. And so a lot of conversations taking place here about adapting some of these kind of best practices uh, in, into the future. Um, now, the throne speech, a little over an hour from now, and uh, despite even what's in the throne speech, it will be historic uh, because of Mary Simon. Um, she'll be the one delivering the throne speech, which marks a first in Canadian history. Yes, this will certainly be very exciting. And again, uh, Mary Simon, uh, the first Indigenous person to hold the office of Governor General. Uh, she is Inuk uh, from a, a community in northeastern Quebec. And really, I think what we've seen so far from her in the past is really a focus on uh, incorporating Indigenous uh, traditions and ceremonies into kind of the broader ceremonies that we've seen taking that, that are so kind of intrinsic to the way that the Canadian parliamentary system works. And so certainly looking for continuation of that, likely an emphasis from her, um, as well in any comments that she, brief comments that she might make herself about, again, the the need for, for continued work on reconciliation. And really, that will be a big focus for the yeah. government, too. We know that this is going to be going to be a big part of their throne speech. It was a big part of their platform and their budget back in April. So, um, again, one of a number of issues that we're, we seem certainly very likely to hear more about today. Yeah, and the throne speech, as you say, will outline exactly what they're hoping to get done in this first session. And we know they have four priorities that they're talking about already is trying to get done before Christmas. Uh, Do we know exactly what they're focused on? 
We do, yeah. So again, uh, the best way to think of the throne speech here really is kind of like a vision document. It's right. that big kind of ambitious roadmap for the government and how they see them, themselves going. But we got a little bit more detail yesterday from the new uh, Liberal House leader. This is uh, Mark Holland, who, of course, is kind of in charge of laying out the government agenda in the House, working with the parties to get stuff done and really prioritizing those agendas. He had four key items that he says the government is hoping that they can get done by Christmas. That is uh, legislation on continued spending for COVID-19 economic support. So things like authorizing the benefits have already been announced and that are going to be transitioning over the coming months here. Also, a promised bill to ban protests outside of hospitals. That was a big one for the government uh, over the course of the election with those protests that we did mm-hmm. see. Also, a uh, mandating attending sick leave plan for all workers in federally regulated workplaces. Big policy item here. Again, a very narrow number of actual workers, but uh, it, it, it is kind of the few ones that the government has direct control over. And so certainly they, they are keen to move on that. And also a bill banning conversion therapy. That was a big issue for them in the election that they did not get done before calling that election. So really getting that done, getting that done quickly and, and I think um, showing a clear commitment to that after they took some heat for calling the election over the summer without getting that that uh, promised ban on conversion therapy done. So that's the priorities, and they've got uh, less than a month to get that accomplished, which is pretty ambitious. But like you say, the throne speech don't look for a lot of specifics, right, Amanda? This is pretty broad brush strokes plans, but they don't really get into the details. I mean, going into these four bills in specifics is more detail than we typically see in a throne speech. Yeah, so there, there really won't be specifics about those four pieces yeah. of, of legislation there. What, you, what we will see, though, in the throne speech and what we do typically see in others, again, is kind of um, this is a chance for the government to really re-up and reaffirm a lot of the key commitments that they made, dur- that they made during the federal election campaign, during the April budget again. So we'll really see them highlighting things, I think, themes like affordability, their, their plans to uh, deal with the cost of housing and the, the rising cost of living for Canadians uh, kind of writ large. Also, um, commitments to the kind of green green recovery here again looking at clean tech and, and the environment and climate change particularly in, in, in light of some of the devastation that we've seen in the western parts of the country over the last couple of years and so um, certainly focusing there focusing on the the what we all hope really is the end game for COVID-19 right the the kind of yeah. uncertainty here of the coming months and into the spring as well looking ahead so really kind of that broad vision for um, where they see the country going. We'll likely hear about childcare as well. Of course, Alberta just signed their deal with the federal government and and the vision for getting that deal done um, reaffirmed in the throne speech as well. All right, Amanda, we look forward to it. Thanks so much for setting the stage for us. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You bet. That's Amanda Connolly, who is a national online journalist with Global News, sort of telling us what we can expect to see uh, in the throne speech. we got to do better as Canadians. We've talked about cybersecurity on this show all the time, right? And all the different ways we can be affected by hackers and scammers. And I mean, it's all, it's constant. We know all about it. And guess what? The new survey is out on the most popular passwords in Canada. And we're just dopey, 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 like staggeringly bad at this. It's, it's shocking to me that this is still happening in 2021. But wait until you hear um, just how bad, not just Canadians, but most people, but Canadians in particular are when it comes to password security. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. We're going to na- chat now with Patricia Kernoskaita. Did I say that right? Kernoskaita now, who is um, 
uh, Senior Public Relations Manager at NordPass. Patricia, I'm sorry for butchering your name. No, that's uh, that was great. Was it <laughs> I know close? it's quite I mean... a difficult one. <laughs> Yeah, that was close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was okay, great. good. Uh, so taking a look at some of the research that NordPass has done into the most popular or most common passwords in Canada, and are you like me, just really, really disappointed to find out what the most common passwords are in Canada? <laughs> um, yeah, I have to say I'm, I'm quite disappointed. Um, it's it's not a great result. Um, I do really have to say, I mean, uh, it's really mind-blowing. As you said, that uh, in this day and age, uh, people do still use such weak passwords. I mean, it's it's really disappointing. I mean, the most common passwords are 123456 and password. And it's been that way for a really, really long time, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, so we as NordPass, we do this uh, research. Um, this has been the third year. And uh, yeah, it's the third year that uh, 123456 is the top password. Um, so yeah, nothing changes really. <laughs> but th- now, now we were talking about Canadians and Canadians really dropping the ball on this, but that's around the world. So it's not just Canadians that are really bad at this, right? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, I guess there's, <laughs> it's not only Canadians. Uh, so actually, 123456 is the top password worldwide. Um, <laughs> and this year, we actually researched uh, 50 countries. And out of those 50 countries, in 43 of them, 123456, sorry, was the top password. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah. Like, a lot of countries, uh, do the same. <laughs> Would we take a look at some of the things that are unique to Canada? What did you find? Like, we like to use Canada as a password, right? Yeah, um, that was uh, that was uh, used really, really often. So actually, we uh, we looked through all of these lists, and uh, we would have to say that um, Canadians are probably uh, the most patriotic. So uh, we found a lot of Canada-related passwords, um, such as you know, as you said, Canada or Canada One. Also, a lot of uh, different cities, uh, for example, Toronto, Toronto One, and so on, Montreal, and so on. So I guess this was you know one of the one of the uh, most interesting findings here. Are those any better than one, two, three, four, five, six? Putting Canada in there is that any better? Um, well, not really, not really, <laughs> because it's used so often. You know, uh, because it's used so often. Even if it's a little bit longer, it doesn't really matter because. Um, so many people use it, so hackers could just simply guess it, uh, right? Um, so it's actually not that much better than one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, hockey is fairly popular among Canadians. Well, not surprising, but sports in general. I mean, they seem to come up as a password, right? Yeah, um, sports uh, Sports was a really uh, big trend in these passwords. So, of course, in Canada, hockey, uh, super popular. Um, it was also more uh, popular. It was, it was popular both uh, amongst men and women, but more popular amongst men. Um, other types of sports uh, also appeared on Canadian lists. Uh, so, for example, baseball, soccer, basketball as well. Um, but, yeah, hockey was the, was the number one in Canada. And uh, this is a trend uh, worldwide. So people do really, really love sports. Um, so we saw many, you know, local team names uh, in, in, in these passwords list. And, uh, yeah, we can assume that, you know, British really love their football and their Premier League teams. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really interesting trend of how much people love sports and how much people love using sports-related passwords. 
Well, that really surprised me. And this seems, I mean, this, like, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, that's just lazy and quick. I get it. But some some of them just seem downright dumb to me. Like, the, it's extremely popular for people to actually use their own name as their password. I mean, what could be simpler to crack? Um, yeah, you're completely right. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's so easy, and we uh, we do make an assumption that people use their own name because uh, this year we uh, we looked at the, the most popular passwords amongst women and men, and we can see that in women's lists, uh, so female names dominate the list, and mm-hmm. men's uh, male names. So we we you know we make that assumption that okay, people are using the, their own name. Um, so yeah, that's that's a terrible security practice. Because I mean, well, uh, we can find uh, we can find person's name on their Facebook uh, Facebook account, Facebook profile, and it's a pu- it's such public information. And hacker will this will be one of the first uh, passwords that hacker will tr- will try. I mean, heck, you know, you don't even have to be a hacker to to crack such passwords. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like when we talk about it, and it's kind of funny that people are using these passwords. But you know, you sort of analyzed how long it would take to crack these passwords and it's less than a second for the vast majority of the most common passwords in Canada. Yes, uh, that's that's correct. So out of the 200 uh, most popular passwords in Canada, 144 passwords can be cracked in less than a second. So that makes uh, 72%. Um, so that's 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 a really large number. Um, globally, this number is even higher. Um, so on average, it's eighty four percent. So I guess you know Canadians are doing slightly better, but still not really. It's it's not a really good result. All of these passwords can be cracked almost instantly. Now NordPass recommends using a unique password for every account. Come on, Patricia. We all have so many. I mean, how can you possibly do that? I understand that that would be a good idea, but is how did you do? How would you make that manageable? Um. So uh, yes, uh, you are right. It's it is actually quite difficult. Um. And in ideal world, we would love people to use um unique unique passwords for each and every one of their accounts. Uh. So the way uh you could do it is by using a password manager. Uh. So then you could you don't even have to rem- remember all of these unique passwords, right? Because you store them in a password manager, and then uh you only need one master password to remember to get into to your password manager, and uh, and that's it. And and you don't need to memorize your own account. Okay. Um, uh, so that's, you know, that seems quite easy. And uh, of course, for the people um, that uh, have don't have that many accounts, so memorizing, uh, you know, if you have uh, <laughs> three passwords or, or five passwords, so we would recommend to memorize all of these. What we really don't recommend doing uh, is writing them down on a piece of paper, right? Because uh paper could be lost easily or for example if you're writing your password on a sticky note and sticking it onto a work yeah. computer i mean that <laughs> just becomes public information right so there's uh, that's that's something that we really recommend against um and patricia i'm getting asked by so many listeners on the text line and it's a good question how do you know what people's passwords are aren't they i mean how can you possibly come up with a list of the most popular passwords how do you know everybody's passwords 
Um, so we uh, we don't uh, we don't know uh, you know our customers' passwords or anything like that. This research was done with uh, in partnership with a, a uh, cybersecurity uh, incidents researchers, and these passwords are pulled from the from the cybersecurity incidents and cybersecurity breaches that have already happened. So when uh, when a service uh, I, I won't mention any names, but for example, a big service. Uh, gets breached um, and uh, hackers do leak these passwords, this becomes public information. So uh, we've used these hacked uh, and leaked passwords uh, that have become public, and uh, that's how we compile this research. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense to me. Patricia, great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Uh, that is Patricia Kernoskaita. So we're going to talk about how you plan to approach the holidays and beyond. I mean, it's not just the holidays, but it's, you know, where we are with COVID-19. And if you're vaccinated, and I understand there's there's different levels of discussion around this. If you're vaccinated, I think it's a different topic, right? If if you've gone out and you've got yourself double vaccinated, triple vaccinated in a lot of cases, it's, um, to me, my own personal opinion, and I recognize other people have different thoughts and different comfort levels, and that's fine. I'm not judging you or telling you you're wrong. Um, but I'm curious because for me, okay, that's it. That's all I can do. Right. I mean, I'm not prepared to spend the rest of my life, um, with restrictions. I mean, once we've done the vaccines, that's where we're at. That's the end of it. We've shot our shot. Now we got to live with it. So I, and I, and I think trying to impose further restrictions and all that, you know, for another year or two years or five years or 10 years, whatever the case may be, is untenable and it's not reasonable, right? We've got the vaccines. So I've done it. I have faith in the vaccines and okay, that's it. Let's go. Uh, other people don't feel that comfortable. And, and there's different circumstances and situations for everybody around this. And I get that. If you've got small children, if you've got immune compromised people, all everybody has different situations that they're living in. And, and and like I say, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying for me personally, this is where I'm at. Now, some new polling that came out said, maybe half of Canadians are sort of feeling the same way I am. Actually, less than half. So it's kind of interesting to me. So let's get a breakdown on what we found with this polling by Leger. Andrew Enns, the Executive Vice President of Leger in Winnipeg, joins us now to give us the details. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, Shay. Nice to be uh, back talking with you. Okay, so some polling here on basically, what are you going to do when it comes to holiday gatherings this year if you're a Canadian? Are you going to be hugging? Are you going to be handshaking? Are you going to be social distancing? <laughs> what did you find out? Well, on on that question, exactly. Uh, you know, people, as you, as you said in your reading, are still pretty cautious about letting go of some of the social distancing and how we traditionally have greeted and uh, greeted each other, not just during Christmas, but just about any time we run into friends or colleagues on the street, we found, uh, you know, 47% said that, you know, no, I'm not going back to the hugs and handshakes or kisses uh, over the holidays. I'm going to keep with uh, my social distancing. Well, we found 45% said that, uh, you know, they were going to start to let down, uh, ease up a little bit on that and, and start to greet people in a traditional way. And the thing I found interesting is you did polling across different age groups, and I think a lot of people have the perception that um, the older demographic takes it more seriously, and they do, but not dramatically. Even among 18 to 34-year-olds, it's pretty much 50-50, right? Yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. Amongst the uh, the younger, you know, they're they're a bit higher than say the the folks that are fifty five and older, 
But, uh, you know, still, it's only 50, 52% of the 18 to 34-year-olds said that they were going to, uh, you know, get back to, you know, the traditional way we would reach, uh, you know, great friends or family over the holidays with a hug or a kiss or, or a handshake. At that older age group, sure, they're a bit more, yep. uh, they're still a bit more cautious. Um, the other interesting thing that you ask people about is vaccination and how that's going to affect how they go about planning the holidays. And it's <laughs> going to be a minefield for some people, but that is on the minds of Canadians, right? Well, it is, you know, and, and uh, you know, we, we asked about vaccination and we also asked about, uh, you know, if people are stressing about it yeah. and uh, no surprise. But sure, you know, we found we found just about 50 percent, 47 percent of Canadians are, are going to be, uh, you know, asking, um, you know, for sort of vaccine status or, you know, provide proof of vaccine, which, you know, depending on the family and the situation might not be a good conversation. No, um, you know, you, you've got a third of people that that, um, uh, you know, they're not inviting some friends or family members to, to their party or holiday dinner if they're, if they're not vaccinated. Again, you know, not easy decisions. And, and, and you rapidly put, uh, Shay, I mean, every situation has maybe some unique situa- circumstances you have to be aware of. But, but it's, it's challenging. It is. It is, and I think it's going to take, you know, probably a few years to get to wherever people are comfortable being. Interesting that... Um, only a third of Canadians, and I guess it's it's encouraging, say they will expand their holiday celebrations. They won't get back to where they were before COVID, but they're going to make them a little bit bigger than maybe last year. Well, no, you know, it is encouraging. I, I think we're in a better place, uh, you know, just nationally and in and, and, and a lot of our uh, different provinces. I think we're in a better place. And so it is encouraging that people are going to get out and, and make that extra effort, maybe not to the to the extent it was pre-COVID. But we also, you know, Shay, in that number, there's there's about a quarter of Canadians that are, you know, they're going back to uh, they're going back to the way it was pre-COVID. So, you know, I think it will be generally speaking, a better Christmas for Canadians and and for Albertans than it was last year. And and that's good news. Yeah, I I think you're right. Uh, Andrew, thanks for the insight on your polling. I appreciate it. Uh, We'll chat again. No problem. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. Take care. Bye-bye. That is Andrew Enns, who is the Executive Vice President of Leger in Winnipeg. So, am I wrong? And, and I understand that everybody's in a different position on this, and that's okay, and that's that's fine. And, and honestly, if you don't feel comfortable um, greeting mom with a hug or whatever the case may be, that's fine. I, I, you do what makes you feel comfortable. I have no problem with that. I'm not judging anybody for the choices that they make. But I'm curious... Um, for me, you know, when I take a look at it, you know, somebody's asking me, are you wearing a mask? I'm wearing a mask where it's required. I'm showing my vaccination record where it's required. That's the way that I have approached this from day one. And I've been on the air telling you to trust the scientists and to tr- trust the public health officials. And they've blown it in a number of cases. And I admit that, but they're still better at it than I am. So when they put out the list of guidelines and they put out the list of restrictions and saying this is what we think, you know, Albertans should do or Canadians should do or human beings should do, I do it. Okay, now call me a sheep if you want. That's fine. Uh, I've been called a sheep so many times over the past year and a half, I don't care anymore. Um, So if it fits within what public health officials say is okay to do, like I went to Boston, there's no advisory against traveling. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to show your vaccination record to get on the plane. I did that. You have to show a PCR test to come back. Did that. Fine. Follow all the rules. But I'm not going to say I 
I'm not going to say I know better than the scientists, so I'm not going to get vaccinated or I'm not going to wear a mask or I'm not going to do some of the things that they tell me I should do. And I'm also not going to think that I know better to the scientists to the point that I'm going to say, well, they say I'm allowed to do this, but I think they're wrong. No, no, no. If I trust the science, I trust the science. So if they say I'm allowed to go and do this, I'm going to do it, right? That's sort of where I come down. I'll, I'll work with their guidelines, and I always have, and I'll follow all the restrictions that they have in place. No problem. But I'm not going to go above and beyond at this point. I'm triple vaccinated. What more can I do? Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.